Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I don't know. Are you, like, being Calculon there? Or <laughs> No, no, that would be N-O-O-O! No, it was Captain Kirk. Uh, I've been watching a lot of old Star Trek lately. Um, I don't know why exactly. I think I was just like going through uh, looking for the episodes that I thought were good. Like, and not that they were like all terrible or anything. Quite a few of them are good. It's just there are some Star Trek episodes that are that didn't age well. Yeah. Or they were a little rushed for whatever reason. But every season has a few gems. I was watching Balance of Terror. I, I swear to God, we will get on to talking about your lore questions, but since he asked. I was watching Balance of Terror. One of the things I really liked, I mean, William Shatner has been all over the place as a real human being in terms of like what I've thought of him. Um, lately, it doesn't seem like either he's either he's a real jerk or he doesn't have any idea what's going on in his Twitter feed at all. Um, but I did like that his Kirk shuts down the guy who's being racist at Spock. Mm-hmm. hard he shuts him down hard like he doesn't this isn't like kind of a you know hey we won't have that kind of talk here he's like you know you, you next time leave your bigotry in your quarters there's no room for it on the bridge i am understood and the guy's like yes sir and it's like wow i didn't know shatner was going to come out that hard with that performance it's just been interesting to watch uh it's been nimoy of course is nimoy he's always great but it's it's sometimes it feels like people's focus on spock sort of overwhelms all the other characters and I'm sorry, but like actually watching the episodes again, it's like DeForest Kelly, man, he is playing the hell out of McCoy. Oh yeah. Uh, he he goes through some like serious emotions. And it's funny how like sometimes the best parts the quiet stuff. Like we we are, we we focus on Shatner as kind of like, you know, the I'm Captain Kirk guy, right? But a lot of his best performance stuff is quiet. Like when he has to go like he he was for, about to perform a wedding at the beginning of Balance of Terror. And at the end, he finds out that the only casualty was the guy who was going to get married. So he has to go down and talk to the wife to be. And, and basically, he just walks in and is like, you know, he just says it never makes any sense. We always think it should, but it never does. And that's it. That's all he says. He doesn't say anything else. Just, you know, she, she turns to him. He, he, they end up with, he ends up hugging her. Uh, she finally like looks up and is like, I'm okay, and leaves. And he's just standing there. And you can tell like the weight of it just just every time that he has to tell somebody, you know, I your so and so is dead. It's just an, it's really interesting to see it because I like I said the the picture we have of the show can often be colored by the time we watched it and the time it's been since we watched it. So it's kind of hard sometimes to remember like how it actually was and more importantly how it was compared to everything else on the air around it. You know, like that's that's really just it's just something that's buzzing through my head. 
And now I'll stop so we can talk about the things we're actually supposed to talk about. <laughs> well, no, it's it's definitely something that I think when we talk about storytelling uh, is very important, right? Because when we're talking about the lore and the the story of whether it's games or, or books or particularly TV shows and movies, the portrayal of emotion is paramount, right? We, we talk about that a lot, and we talk about that when we talk about uh, WoW expansions even. We talk about the performances given by the voice actors and by the when the cinematics are crafted and things like that it all it all makes sense it all ties in uh and it is all very very important uh but we are not going to continue to talk about that because we do have a number of questions that we're going to get to today from you our wonderful listeners uh if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com uh specify the show that it is for in the subject line and this way we can make sure it gets where it needs to be. If you don't want to send us an email, you can hit us up on one of our various Discord channels. We have two of them. One, which is just our Q and Podcast Questions channel, which is open for everybody. You can drop those in there. Again, just tell us what show it's for. Uh, and if you are a Patreon supporter, as a way of saying thank you, uh, we have a special channel set aside for them, which is the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel. We tend to look there first. Uh, basically because, well, y'all help us keep the lights on, and that's a a little way of us saying thank you. Uh, But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into these questions. First one, many years ago in an interview, Alex Afrasabi, oh, I can never, I will never, ever be able to pronounce his name. Afrasabi. Thank you very much. Made a comment that there is a singular legion across all time and all realities. This was seemingly for a rule of cool moment to make the Archimond at the end of Warlords of Draenor the same Archimond as Warcraft 3. However, we now have an alternate timeline where Sargeras saw his Burning Crusade to completion. Given that Sargeras is uh, currently floating in space prison, this seemingly retcons the idea of one legion. I have read a defense that the timelines aren't aligned and that alternate timeline is actually a future after Sargeras has escaped space prison, but I feel Sorodomi, our guide during timers and a pretty powerful bronze dragon, would be able to tell the difference between an alternate timeline and the future of our own timeline. My question is, beyond Alex's interview comment, is there anything anywhere in-game, in chronological or in any auxiliary content or sorry, in Chronicle or any auxiliary content that states there is, in fact, one Legion. And this is from Bloodhawk, who is a torn shaman on Boulder Fist. Well, Matt- it doesn't, it's not about the Legion, but we did have in uh, Shadowlands that the spirits of various timeline versions of a dead person are all kind of the same one. Like the, he used the term uh, threads off of a rope sort of idea that they're, they're braided together. So that there's only one soul uh, for Draka, even though there's you know other timelines with Draka in them. Uh, I believe it was Steve. It uh, was Steve. That. Yep. Yeah. I don't know if that's still considered canon by them, and I don't know if that's also the same thing as the idea that the Legion is one Legion across all realities. But for that matter, nothing in your Sargeras example would contradict that, mm-hmm. um, because. Whilst Sargeras is in, you know, uh, the, the, I want to say the seat of the Pantheon. Is that what it's called? Yeah, the seat of the Pantheon. Yeah, while he's being held in the seat of the Pantheon uh, with Illidan, that doesn't mean that his omniversal existence isn't also doing stuff in other timelines. Because uh, we've never had it explained exactly what that means, that, that they're all the same guy. It doesn't mean that there's one body that's in every, you know, every timeline, whenever it feels like going into one, it it could very well be that they enter into a a physical reality. And because they're demons, they enter into it and create a form and act in that reality. And then when you destroy them in that reality, they're not dead because they go back to Antorus and so forth. And it's that essence that is then extruded into other realities. Um, We saw originally that, that uh, Sargeras had to create Mardun, the prison world to hold the demons because they would just keep coming back. And it's quite possible that when he became himself a fell Titan, that he learned the secret of coming back. And it's not just Antorus. In fact, it wouldn't make sense for it to be Antorus because Antorus was a Titan facility. And it's not necessarily like if the, if they would something the Titans know how to do, why wouldn't they have done it themselves? Like, well, they, they kind of did, right? Their, 
Yeah, but they did it slightly differently. Their souls got like destroyed and sent off into the universe. Although that's an interesting thing to think about now that we we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because Titans don't seem to have that. I, you know, I was gonna say like it's, well, Titans don't. We've never really talked about it in terms of Titans, right? And we've never really had a conversation with Amanthul about why the timeways and maintaining them was important or or if they all are sort of the same thing universally down because we do know that beings like uh Norsdomu can exist in multiple forms at the same time uh in the same occupied space, right? Like he's come face to face with himself. This has happened. Uh is it because it's out of time? Is it because it's an alternate reality version of him that's come down? We've Time is 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 mercurial in Warcraft universe at best, right? We never really have a clear set of defined rules that dictate what time actually means. But like Titans are a really good example of one. We know that they don't die, or at least they're not supposed to. And when, well, yeah, their spirits aren't supposed to go to the Shadowlands. And when they when, do, when, yeah, it, it messed everything up. Versus everything else that goes back to the Shadowlands, which goes to your point of it can exist technically in multiple multiple realities and possibly multiple timelines, because we've already seen that with Gul'dan and we've seen that with uh, uh, some of the other uh, yeah, and mortal races. Because don't forget, Archimonde was a mortal, too, at one point. Yeah, and we, and we should point out that Gul'dan was definitely, there were two different Gul'dans. Yes. Because one Gul'dan went to the place that the other Gul'dan's corpse was you know, currently stuck and didn't interact with the corpse at all but was there and the you know these were two separate people they weren't one person across but yet uh, supposedly their souls are braided together yeah um it, it's always been an interesting thing to talk about what does that mean yeah you know what does it mean your souls are braided together i'm sorry i'm not i'm not trying to interrupt you no no you're no no you're good because i think i think that feeds into the what Steve Denouser was talking about, and he talked about it on when we had him on for the the interview as well at one point. And I, because I remember it distinctly, is this idea of the timeline being this varied thing that has to be braided back together, uh, and that's more or less kind of what the Bronze Dragonflight is doing. Uh, and I think the reason that it's doing it is sort of not to borrow from Marvel uh, too heavily, but I think Marvel really kind of like showcased it well. If you watched Loki. Uh, or if you're following some of the the stuff with like uh, Doctor Strange and what's happening now, and of course the the Spider Verse stuff, is that when that stuff is untended, when it's left to its own devices, you create a multiverse, and that multiverse exists because of those actions. And WoW doesn't have a multiverse technically, but we saw that one could happen, that it could be a multiverse. Uh, multiple times we saw that with Kodan, we saw that with traveling back in time and we're sorry out of time out of space going back and recruiting the magar orcs because technically they shouldn't exist in the one true timeline yet here they are now a part of our world and timeline and universe despite the fact that they were off this in this one little pocket area and one it, of them is essentially thrall but as a woman yep like she has the same parents she's not really thrall but she's a sister thrall never had and she never had a brother like she, her, she's the only child of her parents, just like he's the only child of his parents, and their parents are the same people, mm-hmm. but in different timelines. So there's lots of interestingly weird stuff about this. Another thing that's really fascinating is think about this: we went at the end of uh, War Crimes. Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, Kairos. Kairos. Yeah. Yeah. Kairos. Kairos summons forth alternate versions of various people to attack the uh, temple of the white tiger. And those alternate people are like, you know, there's a crazy variant. There's a, there's, so there's a bunch of different people. Yeah. There's a variant who never got, never had his soul put back together and was still the fair yeah. version of himself. There's, uh, a, there's a, like an evil thrall, just various, uh, just various alternates from these other worlds. And we, we see that again, actually in the thrall, Twilight of the Aspects books, because Thrall ends up dealing with a Blackmore from a world where he won. Mm-hmm. And that's again, not, you know, it's, and it's, didn't they make, they made a point like that timelines were kind of like they could ripple out of and bend back into line with yeah. this timeline. Yeah. So and, for, for all of its, its, its flaws, I think one of the more accurate comparisons is 
the Flash movie, the most recent one, where they like literally there's a discussion with Michael Keaton's Batman about how the multiverse works, and it's that time isn't just a piece of uh, of rope necessarily. And it's not just a splitting point. So if you think of like Back to the Future Part Two, um, or like going back in time and, and creating an or Back to the Future and creating an alternate 1985 isn't necessarily the only thing that happens. You don't create an alternate future. You also create an alternate past every time you mess with things or every time a different decision is made. So you create these fulcrum points that sort of create a web work. Yeah, of but they intersecting don't come. Yeah. But they don't come from nothing, and they can, and they, and they yeah. can also reconvene at other points as well. So they can cross back over each other and have other fulcrum points. So two lines don't necessarily uh, always diverge; they can merge back together at some point as well. Yeah, kind of like if you have a, a crack on your windshield. Mm-hmm. Like, say a rock hits your windshield and the, it splinters. Sometimes the splinters just come back together, and you end up with like a piece, and then it's you know they're connected again. That kind of thing can happen. Um, some of the lines don't go the full length of the windshield. Others do. Um, we're using a lot of metaphors here because this isn't something we can actually talk about. Like, I can talk about a windshield. I can't really talk about time because it, it's it's something we exist as part of. It's not something we exist outside of. You can't look at time dispassionately. In the case of all this stuff that we're talking about, do we have any textual evidence of the Legion being just one Legion that exists in all timelines aside from the textual evidence we had in uh warlords of draenor i don't believe they've talked about it specifically again no. there have been other things that have kind of sounded like they were along the same line like what we were talking about with the multiples essences all tying back together at the end um but we have not had anything we haven't really heard much of anything about the legion since legion like we've had other stuff going on i don't even i can't the only thing we've we've heard that's even remotely along those lines of, of us hearing about the Legion is that we know the Nathrazim were created by Denathrius. Yeah. That they were the first the first yeah. children Denathrius made. Yeah. And they're his kind of shadow army that he sends out into the into re, you know, other realities to spy on the other various powers of the universe. That would imply that it's not necessarily that there are no alternate timelines. As that that there would be different, you know, as much as it there would be a there would be a reset point to go back to. Like you kill Anathrazim, they probably go back to Denathrius's realm. They go back to uh, the I can't remember the name of it. my God. I was in there for like a year and a half. What's the name of Denathrius's realm? Oh, um, wow. No, nah, I can't remember it. I see. Just, I, I just always called it Vampire Land. Yeah, Vampire Land. But like, if they go back to Vampire Land when they die. They could always like you know keep going back and forth. It is curious, but I don't think we can dis- we can't just say well they've obviously retconned that because there's there isn't been a obvious statement on it since. At least that's what I think, Joe. You think that we can just say it's been retconned? Yeah, I don't think it's retconned. I, I think I think the the thing that we have to keep in mind too is that, and this has happened before, discussions outside of the the game and the lore by developers doesn't necessarily always uh, indicate what is actually happening. Uh, And it certainly may be true. And it certainly may be true from just a uh, specific perspective, right? Because the other thing we don't, we, we learned as we learned recently is that perspective means everything in the universe. When you look at perspective through the eyes of a Titan, a Titan may truly believe that there is only one timeline that there is only one thing in existence. They may not fully understand the creation or scope of the universe as a whole. Uh, as a matter of fact, it is very likely that they don't. Uh, they may know of the other planes of existence. They may understand some of the facilities that exist elsewhere, but that may be the extent of it. They may not look at time as a wholly uh, in its whole form versus, you know, let's say mortal creatures like, and I'll use the dragons as an example, the bronze dragons look at things in a weird sort of, I shouldn't say weird. They look at it in a different way. Their perspective is different. They can tunnel into different realities. They can cause those splits and frays because they were programmed and designed to pull those frayed ends together. So they have a unique way of looking at it. They can see all of the individual strands of a knot instead of just the knot itself. So, but they don't really talk about it. 
I think Chromie's as close as we get to it, where Chromie constantly has to remind themselves of when they are, because everything blends together at some point for them. Everything becomes a jumble and a mess. But I don't think anything in game has really 100% said one way or another, yes, this is one singular legion, or yes, this is, you know, multiple instances of the same creature from the legion, or to Matt's point earlier, that this is the essence hurtled into different time and space, because we do know that the void and the legion is capable of breaching barriers into other dimensions. And, you know, the whole seeing infinite realities thing could possibly be something that they're up to, especially with the Nathrazine who arguably have a pretty good idea of what's out there considering one again, creations of Sire Denathrius, uh, but two, like understanding how the Shadowlands works, how all those souls are brought in because they absolutely know how that works uh, and sort of becoming natural spies to be planted elsewhere, probably know about the, any sort of potential multiverse there is out there and how sort of things work weirdly in time. So, because I think even some of the Nathrazim have made some comments about some of that stuff too, right? Like in reference to time, like this is exactly how it was supposed to be or, you know, whatever the case is like, they, they kind of have an idea of that or they've made some comments about that in the past as well. So I don't know. I don't think there's anything specifically that says one way or another. And I think that's part of the beauty of it. We're not supposed to have a definitive answer. And I think that is the whole point. Anything else to add to that, Matt? No. All right. Well, Bloodhawk, hopefully that answers your question. We're going to move on to our next one, which is also from a avian friend from Greedy Raven. Uh, sorry if you've covered this, but why can warlocks summon Voidwalkers? They aren't demons. And bonus, why can mages, mages summon water elementals? Shouldn't that be a shaman thing? Uh, do we know why warlocks can summon Voidwalkers, Matt? Uh, I never saw anything specific about it other than we found out later on that warlock summoning magic is in fact Titan based. And specifically what we found out was that it is, it was originally something that Titan, the Titans used to literally trap demons. Like it was part of the, the magic that Sargeras came up with to lock them into Mardum. Now, obviously when Sargeras broke Mardum, uh, the summoning magic stopped working uh, and what happens when you use it now is that a demon gets a ping, basically, and was like, oh, someone's trying to do that thing that you used to be able to do. And so they go and check it out. They're like, ooh, I'm interested. What 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 do they want? What are they trying for? Um, which I thought was an interesting an interesting way to look at it. Um, in terms of why Voidwalkers, it could just be as simple as Sargeras designed the thing to work on anybody who wasn't supposed to be here. Yeah, because aren't, aren't yeah. Voidwalkers classified as demons? I think they are in game, uh, yeah. but you know, we've also seen that the Legion in particular is very interested in experimenting on things that are not demons. Uh, one of the things I, I keep going back to is there's a boss in the hellfire uh, Citadel raid who is both fell and void at once. Uh, Zulthar or something. I can't remember. The yeah. It's, it, it's all, it's all weird consonants and in, in lots of views. Um, but that entity is both fell and shadow at the same time. It is it fell and void. Sorry. It's like a, it's like a void Walker and a demon, both blasting this thing to create this monstrosity. Uh, when you kill the two things guarding it, one, one, one's a fell, uh, like a, a void Walker and one's this giant, um, fell, fell brood. You then get it free and it attacks and you fight it and so forth. But it's clearly an experiment that, uh, sorry, not Sargeras that, uh, Gul'dan was working on. So, it could be just as simple as the Legion has taken an interest in the void and is interested in, can we, can we mess with this? Can we use this? Can we break this? Uh, and so therefore warlocks, because warlocks are pacting with, you know, fell creatures would get access to the ways that the fell creatures are getting access to void walkers. Yeah. And void walkers are, are an entity that I think has gone through some shifts and changes as well. And this could be a matter of perspective, uh, like we talked about before, depending on who you ask what a Void Walker is, because I distinctly remember in the RPG, uh, they were demons created from the pure chaos of the Twisting Nether itself. Um, and then later on, we were told that they are beings of pure void and not actually demons, but yet somehow have a soul because they are uh, that void energy pulled into the material world. 
Um, then there's another section that talks about their manifestations of warp fiends or fields uh, that you could find. Like if you were to, let's say, go in Burning Crusade and go to the Twisting Nether or the, the um, why can't I remember the name of the zone? The zone at the north. Um, Nether something. Netherstorm? Netherstorm. You go to Netherstorm and technically they were elementals born from that pure, that, that manifestation of those uh, elements and the twisting other and void and reality all sort of colliding together and birthing a void elemental uh, essentially. So, but the thing is, is because it's void and void based, all of that may be true. They could be demons. They could be pure void elementals. They could be both. They could be none of those things. It's, yeah, you know, a thousand truths guys. Yeah. They could be offshoots of void walkers or, uh, void callers, which are the the void form of the uh, Naru. It could be shards of them that were split off into you know shattered existences across the cosmos that are completely devoid of of light and therefore are you know and have fragments of soul from the Naru. There, the, but there isn't anything that really definitively says they are or aren't in game or in lore. Devs have stated over the years that, I mean, originally they were demons. And then I think there was an Ask the Devs section uh, many years ago where they said that they weren't demons uh, and that they were agents of the void. But it is, there's nothing definitive in game. As far as why warlocks can summon them, warlocks are just making deals in the same way that, you know, shaman make deals with elementals. They're dominating or making a bargain with a demon or entity of sufficient power to use its power. And a warlock's power is as much void and shadow as it is fell in a lot of cases. So anything that falls into those categories could be something that it could potentially dominate or make a connection to. Yeah, and it's also worth mentioning, too, um, when you're talking about warlocks, is that warlock power is essentially the, the least common denominator. like. It, it, they will they will do whatever works. So you've got warlocks who rip power directly out of living things. You've got warlocks who breach reality. Um, we've seen Nerzul with that. Nerzul, when he became a warlock, um, I mean, he was still the elder shaman, but he was definitely you know using warlock magic at the end there. Uh, in fact, he was using magic he got he'd actually reverse engineered from Gul'dan. Yeah, look at um, look at warlock portals, right? Well, yeah, not just that. The portals that tore apart uh, Draenor into Outland are were basically gigantic warlock portals. Mm-hmm. And when he used them and tore the world apart, that's where Voidwalkers first came to Outland. They literally came in through the Nether and into Outland from there, which implies something about the Twisting Nether. That it isn't just this place where fell creatures can live in abundance. It it feels like the, the Twisting Nether isn't getting any kind of attention in any of these cosmology charts or in any of these you know views of the universe. And it really should be. Because it's not fell. Like when you go to it, fell's obviously there. But it feels like the Twisting Nether is almost like the equivalent of the astral plane from, from a D&D. Yeah, it kind of like does. It's, it's this... It's also sometimes called the Great Dark Beyond, but that's also in the material plane. The Great Dark Beyond is essentially space between worlds. So is it like the Great Dark Beyond for planes? Like, is it the place between all the planes? Is it the place all the planes float in? And that would, if it is that, that would explain how all these things can get into other realities from it, but not itself be those things it's not fell it's it's not void either but both fell and void seem to be able to reach azeroth through it so if it is in fact kind of like a connective tissue rather than a plane of existence on its own that would explain why other beings can be there and that would explain why when draenor is there that the weird nether dragons and so forth were able to be created from it nether drakes were created by exposure to the twisting nether and from the nether dragons we get twilight dragons and other kinds of strangely altered beings and that that kind of ties into in my opinion something we see in shadowland uh the i I forget what to call them the but they're like the ravagers or destroyers the things that basically kind of eat anima constantly oh yeah the destroyers they seem to travel through what is essentially the nether yeah, they they tra- they travel through the reality between realities or the the existence between realities, and I think that that is the Nether, and therefore 
that's how everything gets everywhere. Ultimately, it's it is the major way of traveling between planes of existence, between you know, fell and void and life and all the and death and all of it. And there's a reason that it's not supposed to be breached. Like when the when the portal to the Shadowlands opens up in uh, Northrend, it's major bad news. It, like it's immediately like, whoa, what is going on? I, I just find myself interested in this concept of like the, maybe that's why Voidwalkers got to Draenor in the first place and how they what they were doing. But that also leads us back to the the mage question. Mages don't pay attention to rules they didn't make themselves. That is, I think, the easiest way to put it. The mages, mages and shaman are very similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, Battle for Azeroth really drove that home, right? Like, yeah. when we started talking about, like, let's let's look at tide sages. What are tide sages? Well, they're supposedly, like, shaman, but they're also supposedly priests. And they kind of blur that line pretty effectively. So that's also dragging in another group of people who have weird powers. Well, technically, technically, I think they're they're mage priests. They're not necessarily shaman priests because there is a whole separate shaman is this whole separate thing. They yeah, don't, but aren't technically speaking, aren't the Kaltiran shaman supposed to be tide sages? No, I thought they were. Not just no. Some of them can be, but I don't think they are. Um, so they're sea priests or tide priests, and they are the they're a religious Kaltiran group. Uh, that worship the Tide Mother. Uh, so there is some potential crossover, I think, with that, with with them in Shaman and sort of the reverence of it. But I think there's a lot there because they're they're essentially mages. They do a lot of the same things. They don't have the same healing capability that a Shaman does. Uh, they don't really see other things because they're so focused as a water nation on water itself that it feels like mages summoning a water elemental is almost kind of just what they know because that's what they were taught. But I didn't mean to cut you off because there is definitely some crossover between all of it. <laughs> it all sort of bleeds together a little bit. Well, that's the thing I was thinking about in terms of that is we don't know exactly what the tide mother is. No, not even close. Yeah. We know that the, that some of the, the tide sages worship her or, view her as a patron it's clear that as shara was pretending to be her yeah my 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 gut tells me that maybe she wasn't necessarily pretending see my gut says that she was because i don't feel like most of the stuff that the side page side sages have done over the years is stuff that Ashara would have cared enough to involve herself in but i think definitely think she's willing to come in and use this whenever when it suits her purposes um but it is it is really messed up because as you pointed out, uh, there's the Queen Ashara artifact, um, Shara's doll. I know you pointed this out before. That has Caress of the Tide Mother, mm-hmm. which is an ability that you know it, it's one of the the abilities of the artifact, and it's Queen Ashara's originally. She was hers before anyone else, which could mean that very well that she had dealings with the Tide Mother or that she was the Tide Mother. Um, we've also got the you know. There's an also a theory that it was a, one of the Wild Gods. Yeah, um, that, well, a that Kraken matter, form. Yeah, we saw one that certainly might might have fit that bill. Well, we saw Oaka Noah, which was a, yeah. a goddess. Uh, yeah, she's another wild god. She just happened to be a Kraken. Yeah. And and all all we're getting at with all this is to just say that oh. there is overlap between all these groups. And also because they're priests, it also might be a loon. You know, tall Tide Mother Moon thing. Yeah, Tide Mother makes sense actually, because you know she would literally be the mother of tides, and that would also make sense why caress of the tide mother because it would have been an elunite object mm-hmm. back then. and it would also make sense that ashara would therefore usurp them because you know she she has this tendency to try to do that man ashara ashara is like the like, you know the only person she thinks worthy to be like to be married to is sargeras and the only person she feels could possibly be a rival to her is literally a goddess yeah so yeah but i mean there's also other things that might lean to that as well so like the uh there's a a quest line I remember uh, that has you get an orb of a loon, and that's what you use to banish the enraged water elementals. Um, the yep. Lost Sailors Memorial makes a reference to the White Lady for protection. Who's the White Lady? A loon, supposedly. It's supposed to be one. It's what we call the biggest moon, with the smallest one being the Blue Child. Um, so, like, there's a lot of a lot of tie-in there, but again elves were exactly known for their arcane prowess 
that also a lot of what they had to do seemed to be around water as well. well. I mean, they spent an awful lot of time using the arcane power that they were getting from the well of eternity Uh to study the well of eternity. Uh I mean, which is, you know, a big thing of water full of like divine power. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of back and forth on this kind of thing, but but the point being it, it isn't like, like I said before, mages aren't really big on, you know, obeying rules. They didn't come up with. They're, they're actually really, they have a lot of really arcane, ornate rules about how magic works that obviously other groups ignore. And the mages themselves ignore all the other groups and everything they say about magic. Like, you know, a shaman's like, you can't do that because, you know, it'll, it'll upset the elementals. We have to get their opinion first. And the mages, the mages are like, like nope. no, I don't have to ask his opinion for nothing. I call him, he comes and he does what I tell him to. And then I put him back. That's ridiculously disrespectful from a shaman's perspective, but it might be the only way to get a water elemental to do what you want. A raging storm of potential. Yes. Yeah. Think about what water water elementals are elementals of water. Water is by its very nature, very difficult to control. It goes everywhere. It seeps in every crack. If it freezes, it actually is the only substance that gets bigger when it freezes. Like water is, it's both central to life. You know, we die of thirst if we don't have it. We're actually made up mostly of it. And yet it is antithetical. If it gets in our lungs, we die. Um, You know, whereas meanwhile, a fish, if fish don't have it constantly in their lungs, they die. There's a lot of, and don't ever be a fish in an anoxic environment. There's plenty of water on earth that doesn't have enough oxygen dissolved into it for fish to survive. They will die if they go in there. And there's no way to tell until you go in there. And then suddenly, so water is a lot of things. One of those things has never been easily controlled. In fact, it's been a feat of our modern society that we've managed to control water as well as we have. And think about that from a shaman perspective as well. Like part of the question here is why don't shaman do that? And that's because it is insanely difficult to deal with water. And we see this when we deal with Neptulon because we deal with Neptulon. We don't deal with any of his other minions. We Help. deal with him. Yeah. And look at the fact that the only time before that we dealt with ele- water elementals was the Hydraxian Waterlords. And they don't do a damn thing for us except give us something that will inconvenience fire elementals. Yeah, because because it suits them, right? Yeah, exactly. But like, but like with fire, we know what fire has a sort of a pattern of rules that tends to follow whether you like it or not. Um, mm-hmm. There is a hierarchy to it. We, we actually go through, if you're a shaman, you go through a whole quest line about it. Um, there is a certain thing with it. That is, you know, you know how it works and you can make a deal with it because you have the measure of it. Earth is much the same way as it, it is stalwart and strong and can be impenetrable, but it's also moldable. It's also something that can be formed. And as a result of that, it is not unknowable. Uh, And for that matter, air, air and water are similar, but air is less aggressive because it is just there. Air and air has patterns that it follows, right? It has has winds. It has times. Yeah. Yeah. So you can argue that water has tides and stuff like that. It does. But we've but, just pointed out the tides are imposed upon it yes. by things that are powerful enough to force it to do that. Right. So like, the other one's tide mother, you know, it's, it is yeah. interesting to talk about this, but in, but in context of elementals, shaman make deals. They make deals with the elements unless they're dark shaman in which they shackle them to their will. Mm-hmm. So that's why they don't necessarily mess with water. Dark shaman might actually do that because yeah. they're, they're closer to what mages do with it. And mages are essentially doing what Dark Shaman do with the rest of the elements. They're telling it to do something. They're not making a deal. Um, and even then, Shaman do control water. They just don't in smaller amounts is it's really like the best way to put it. So, like, Sh- Shaman can make deals with water elementals, but they can't make a deal with a water elemental that would require the water elemental to show up and just be there and doing what they want. Because there's nothing the water elementals want from you enough to put up with that. Yeah, Whereas... And- Air elementals, they, they're willing to, to a degree, but I don't think like, it's more like shamans used to be able to turn into them, mm-hmm. but I don't remember there ever being like a, a, an air elemental totem as such. There was, I think it was just, okay. But there was fire elementals or earth elementals. I remember, I don't remember if storm the, the, elementals. Oh, storm. Aren't they like water and air? <laughs> oh, well, whatever. 
the water, air, and fire. Um, yeah. So the 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 idea, and there was an air elemental uh, uh, thing at one point. The the but going back to it, this is one of the reasons why I think in game one of the biggest mistakes they ever did was getting rid of the intro shaman totem quests. Back in the olden days of Vanilla WoW, you used to have to go and you weren't able to do certain things unless you had the totems on you. And you couldn't get them the without elements. doing specific quests. Well, that's the and thing, because it didn't. Yeah. It, it tied you to a specific elemental. You went and got your totem. That totem was a, a thing that bound you to that elemental. And this included a water elemental, because you couldn't mm-hmm. heal without it. Because that's the thing that I was getting at. Shaman do summon water for these purposes, but they're doing it in smaller amounts and things that you wouldn't notice. All of shaman healing is based off of water. All of it is, uh, whether it's you, if you look at it, the default chain heal is no longer the, the, the paladin light aura. And there's a reason for that. Riptide exists for a reason. You, you healing surges and all those other things, uh, they're on healing waves. Even the names of them, they're all water-based. Yeah. Uh, Riptide in particular is really fascinating to look at because it is essentially kind of like a reactive heal over time. Yep. That's, that's based on the idea that you, you call upon the elemental to fortify and the elemental's way of fortifying is to just sustain you to hold yeah. you up. And it's really, it was one of the things I loved about playing uh, resto shaman was when, when riptide showed up because it, before that it was just chain heal, chain heal, chain heal, chain heal. But in the last few expansions, especially right now, shaman have a very wide toolkit. It's not necessarily the best one all the time. A lot of times shaman get nerfed for reasons I don't understand, but lore wise shaman can do a lot with water. And they can even get Earth to heal. Look a at little look, bit. Well, look at look at the well. Earth protects, doesn't heal. Yeah, but uh, there's Earth the Grace's shield. Work, yeah, Earth shield used to throw a small heal on you when you got hit. Um, but now it, it it. But even then, like look at look at your your toolkit with healing rain. You're summoning healing waters in an area uh, to go and do that. Uh, look at you know uh, what is it? Uh, Wellspring. You're summoning mm-hmm. forth a, a burst of water from you outward. So shaman do make deals with them. They just don't summon an elemental to fight because they don't need to. Yeah, and thus it's not really what they're best at. And it's not that a water elemental can't be destructive and powerful, but it's not their inherent starter nature. Fire consumes things. Which is why is a, shaman, a shaman summons a fire elemental, and that fire elemental is throwing fireballs at something. Yeah, and earth earth protects but earth can also basically devour which like, is why when you think s- boom the earth is devouring which is why when you summon an earth elemental it's taunting and holding the attention of what's in front of it because if it didn't if those things ignored it it would consume them yeah at least it, in lore literally the, the term whelm uh which comes it has the exact same meaning as overwhelm which is one of those fascinating things about language but the term whelm is really appropriate to an avalanche you're literally whelmed. You're just pushed under. Um, and water can do that. Water, absolutely, tidal waves, all that. Water can be destructive, but in order for water to be destructive, you have to turn away from that healing mindset. And that healing mindset is a core of how shaman think about water. Yeah, and also not only that, but the sham- the, the water elementals as a whole, like dealing going back to the whole Neptulon thing, they want to just be left alone. Mm-hmm. Like when everything went down, even in the the era of the uh, the Black Empire, they didn't care. They didn't want to be a part of any wars with the other elementals. They just wanted to be left the heck alone. And even when you deal with Neptulon later on, you find out they just want to be left alone. When you well, go, you to- pointed out when, when in the uh, the various Shaman Order Hall quests, which you were talking about, I think two weeks ago, mm-hmm. maybe maybe longer. We we do a lot of shows, guys. Um, Joe made the point that you basically go and, and settle the problems of each group. Like you go and figure out, okay, now we need a new fire Lord and it can't be that guy because that guy just wants to go right back to the things Ragnaros is doing. And I need somebody who wasn't going to do that. But the water one with Neptune, it's, it's like, you know, he, Oh, I'm still here. Well, where'd okay? you go? Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's it. He doesn't want to tell you. He doesn't want to talk about it. And that's kind of the water elementals. Elementals are, you know, each elemental has their own thing. Water elementals are really resistant to being confined or defined, but mages don't care. A- again, shaman respect the elements. They respect the elementals. Even dark shaman respect their power. 
They don't respect them as beings, but they respect their power. But for a mage, it's like, I want this water thing to show up and do what I want. Boom. Okay. Now you're done. Go away. And that's, that's how they are with everything for Sham for, for shaman. Their magic isn't magic. Their magic is a belief. It's a way of seeing the world. It's a cultural, it's philosophical for mages. Magic is me putting my will onto you and you will do what I want because I am just that strong willed. Well, not only that, but what is arcane magic? Where does it derive from order? Yeah. Order. And what is order? Order is forcing things into a pattern, forcing things into a mold, just you like the Titans. That, you even see that in Dragonflight. Like when the, uh, what's her name? Oh, bloody heck, Razagath. Yeah, when Razagath is attacking uh, the tower and the, the Kirin Tor are trying to stop it, you find out that they're they're straight up murdering the Kirin Tor. Mm-hmm. Like they're actually hunting them because as wielders of arcane magic, they impose their will on the world, not the other way around. If they're not listening to what the elements want, they're doing what they want. It's a big story element, and it's very important. But that, I think that answers your question, or at least I hope it does, Greedy. It gives uh, you something to do, man. <laughs> it gives us. All right, but I think we have time for one more question. Uh, I don't actually have a name associated with this one, and I apologize. So if this is you, uh, let me know. Uh, have we had any explanation for the dragon egg situation on the Dragon Isles? I remember something about dragons not being able to breed post-cataclysm, and in Legion, Senegos thought the eggs he watched over would be the last ones for the blue dragon flight. Yet, when we get to the Dragon Isles, there are plenty of eggs for most of the flights with dragonkin watching over them. Was there an explanation for this that I've forgotten, or was it never addressed? It's never directly addressed. There's hints. Yeah. Uh, one of the hints is that with the uh, the the actions at the end of Dragon Soul the raid, not Dragon Soul the object, but the whole thing where they essentially used up their Titan given power to stop Deathwing, this broke their connection with the the Titans that was giving them their Titan power, which was obviously how they were using their power to keep the eggs going without the waters that we, we found about in dragon flavor, which we didn't know about at the time. It was very vague why it suddenly couldn't, they couldn't suddenly just keep having eggs, but it, the basic principle was, as we now learned that the dragon eggs have to be infused with the Titans power in the waters at the uh, temple in order to have them be dragons. Essentially, if, if you don't do that, they don't come out as, they don't come out as dragons. Now, there was something else going on because we knew that dragons were born elsewhere. Yeah, but that, that all seemed to be coming from their, from, from their aspect. Their aspect was stepping in and using the Titan power directly as opposed to what happens on the Dragon Isles, which is they have the big font of water and they just bathe the kids in it and boom. Uh, it's, it's really interesting because a lot of this stuff, it's like, depending on how you think about it, it's either, you know, really great or it's actually kind of terrible. Because we're the dragons are doing this to the babies. Those babies would be born. They just wouldn't be born as dragons. Well, they'd be there's some, quest- there's some question yeah. about that though too, because of the black dragon. Yeah, yeah. But, the, but, but even then, he, he still had his titan aspect power. Uh, well, no. Yeah, he did. Uh, what's his name? Why can't I think of his the 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 brothers? Because there's Rathian and Sibelian. Sibelian didn't. No, Sibelian didn't. But Sibelian's uh, brood was definitely still laying eggs and actually. That's an interesting thing, because those those the the eggs from originally was Deathwing who put those eggs there. Mm-hmm. Did Deathwing put a power source on Draenor? Did he figure that, out how to harness the Nether as yeah. a power source, like the arcane font of order that is the Halls of Infusion? Yeah, like we don't really know a lot of this stuff, and we don't even really know for sure. Like, how come Senegos? Like he kept saying, the this group of eggs might be the last ones, but Senegos was several years after Dragon Soul. So, and for that matter, Malagos was crazy for a long time. We also don't and, know what the gestation period is. We don't know. Yeah. We there's a lot about the dra- like, and there's also the possibility that the dragons themselves don't know. Yeah, it just started happening, and they were like, "What?" You know, th- no idea. But also, they could also be a lack of a fertile land for them to sort of do this in as well. Because think about up until that point, what have they lost? 
they had lost their their access to their hidden realms beneath the dragon temple, right? They weren't able to get there anymore, and that was each of those was an area where the dra- the dragons were laying eggs. Oh yeah, we saw the Sartarian. Yep. Um, when you go to Sartarian, there's there's that whole thing of eggs being. I mean, we go and break some of them. You know, it's one of the things we do is stop them from laying more eggs. Uh, you've got multiple wormlings flying around guarding the eggs, and you've got the you know Sarth himself in the center you know, presiding over it. Then when you go to the Ruby Dragon Shrine, it's the same deal. Yeah, the Ruby Sanctum. It's the exact same yeah, deal. Sanctum. Yeah. Sorry, Sanctum, not Dragon Shrine. Uh, and for that matter, we only go to the um, the Bronze Shrine. We don't go to the Sanctum. We don't know what the Bronze Sanctum is like. We never actually go in. But when you go to the Dragon Shrine, uh, there's definitely a sense that this is a... It's like the opposite of a hatchery. It's like a graveyard. And that's like... Because the Dragon Blight is the Dragon Blight, right? It's like a... It feels like it's the opposite of a hatchery. But the temple is the way they get to the hatchery. And it feels like they may have put together new hatcheries because they didn't have access to the Dragon Isles anymore. Right? Like, that makes sense. We also also don't know how many Dragon Eggs were left behind uh, when they had to leave... When they left the Dragon Isles. Because they... When they left the Dragon Isles and they were cut off from them, they probably weren't planning on moving their hatcheries. Yeah, and they probably so left those kids there. We don't know that they, in, in not to, to counteract one of Matt's points, but we don't know that they could have been born in the current state that they were without direct intervention. And also, the dragon, the draconoids and the, the dragon kind that were watching over them that are there on the Dragon Isles may not have known everywhere those eggs were. Or may, how to hatch them. Or how to get to them dragons. safely. Yeah. Like, we do see that the... Uh, oh, I, I keep wanting to call them the, the elementals. It's not the elementals. It's uh, the, the incarnates. ones that are... Yeah, the incarnates and their followers. They turn some dragon eggs into proto-whelps. Yeah. They hatch them as proto-whelps. Uh, but fire-infused ones. Like, they're not just normal proto-whelps. It's quite possible that at this point in time the way dragons and dragon eggs work. And we've seen this with proto dragon eggs in Northrend as well. Maybe they can't hatch without something to infuse them. Maybe they have to be, maybe it's pure elemental power in the cases of the proto dragons. And maybe it's stuff like order and other things for dragons and, you know, nether whelps and, you know, nether drakes and twilight drakes are using other power sources to infuse them. But the infusion might be a big part of it. Um, storm drakes obviously would be infusing their their eggs with the storm. Which they we even know they're doing on them, that, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they breathe on them. They breathe storm power on them to get them to hatch. So it's it's quite possible that there's a a series of things that all have to line up. Yeah, because I mean, and yeah. l- l- let's even look back to um, Anixia, right? And and looking at the uh, the bad and blackwing layer when you're going through there, there's tons of eggs. And there's eggs from all the various chromatic flights and, and Blackwing Lair at the very least. And they hatch. Do were they were they taken from the pools? Were they just because of the proximity to the portal to the elemental plane of fire that they were drawing such sufficient energy? Uh were they so deep in the ground and close to the source of uh Azeroth's entity uh, entity itself that they were able to sort of pop and, and, and become born as well planes because they are well planes. They're not proto whelps. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff that is, is Heck, unknown about the process. We've even seen plague whelps. We have. And so the plague of undeath seems to be able to, to hatch them as undead whelps. Maybe they won't turn into undead dragons. Maybe they're just undead whelps forever, but it's still got them to get out of the eggshell. We don't, these are all things that have never been, determined to any real way we've never we've never gotten direct there's no book like you know you know um chronicle but instead of chronicle it's just about how to hatch baby dragons there's there's nothing that tells us any of this stuff we know that there's it, it's there's stuff that has to be there but we don't know what it is we know mm-hmm. that losing their aspect powers disrupted it but we don't know why they disrupted it right and there's a theory going around because one of the things that you notice at the 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 ruby life shrine or the ruby oath stone area when you go and you you the ruby life pools the oath stone isn't active and the oath stone is a signification of a connection to the titanic power that in 
that empowers that flight, empowers that aspect. It mm-hmm. is not the source of an aspect's power, but there is a, a definite link between it. And once we have the oath stone lit, then the wa- the waters from the halls of infusion go flowing back down to the ruby life pools, and the process begins. We don't know that that wasn't something that the aspects, in this case, Alex Straza could have done beforehand, because when you look at that area and then go back and look at the Ruby, the Ruby Sanctum, go back and look at their, the Ruby readout where it's uh, right near Grimbatol. Um, go look at how those areas are flourishing under their care. Go look at what's there. There's bodies of water. There's pools of, of radiant water that looks very, very similar to the Titan infused water. Is it a situation in which, you know, that's what Alex Straza and the other dragons were doing was imparting some of that essence into the water to sort of fertilize the eggs or to give them that jumpstart. Again, it's a lot of speculation on our part and I would love to have a, a maybe not necessarily an in-depth discussion, but I mean, if, if David Attenborough style, uh, talk about how dragons reproduce. Uh, These a- mighty creatures have dwelt outside their ancestral home for many a year, but at last, dragons have returned to the Dragon Isles. Join me, David Attenborough, as we study how dragons get it on. Sorry. <laughs> and then cue, cue some 70s music playing in the background with some funk and some wah pedals. I, yeah. uh, joking aside, it's something that I would love to actually have an explanation for. Yes, absolutely. But I also don't know that it's something that has I mean, a need for to, one. Yeah, it comes down to like what's good for a story that's being told. Mm-hmm. Are we? Do we want a story about all the ways dragons? You know how super complicated it is for dragons to have babies. I mean, on the one hand, yes, but on the other hand, it's not really the focus of World of Warcraft. Uh, you know, it, it's it'd be neat to to have something as simple as. You know, saying that, you know, before, you know, before we lost our aspect connection, we could use our own power to, you know, to infuse the eggs. But now we have to regain it in order to, you know, blah, blah, whatever. Boom, there, we're done. Uh, we now understand why that happened. But it's clear that something has to be infusing the eggs. I, I think it's pretty, it's pretty easy to say this because you see, like, even with the other dragon flights that aren't major ones, like the the nether and, and twilight dragons or um, the chromatic dragon flight, like Gith, clearly something is being done to the eggs to make them hatch. Like Gith was a unique creation of the chromatic dragon flight. They figured out a way to get Gith to hatch and grow them up into a drake and to do it quickly. And that's something they hadn't been able to do before. Um, had we not stopped the, uh, the black dragon flight at black wing temple, they would have had an army of chromatic dragons. Yeah. And don't forget there's a whole, there's a whole thing of orcs. Uh, that figured out how to do that, right? Mm-hmm. They figured out the entire process, like not to, to you know, it's not exactly great storytelling, but Alex Straza was held captive and forced to produce offspring for a number of years. Yeah. And they had the, the offspring were hatched and they were ridden into battle. They were effectively what we would call Drakes, but they were still being ridden into battle. And this is happening during Warcraft, the original RTSs, because that's how mm-hmm. that's how orcs had dragon riders. That was the Dragon Ball clan, right? And cl- and clearly, too, this is something we could talk about at some point. It's not really specifically interesting to this, but the Dragon Ball clan, that was their name on Draenor. So there's something on Draenor that is big and reptilian enough to be considered a dragon, to look like dragons. So that's, to me, I've always wanted to know, is that possibly why Deathwing went there? Was he trying to find, like, okay, there's something like dragons here, what is it? Does it like, does it have an infusion process? Is that how, is that how Sibelian managed to, to keep his flight going? Like th- this is all stuff we don't know, but it is something that, that's worth thinking about. And maybe we'll get an answer in uh, future days. Maybe there'll be some hints with it because I don't think we are done learning uh, about everything that Deathwing chose to do. Uh, we're still just kind of scraping at the tip of the iceberg there. I think, um, and there's going to be, I think, probably some realizations about some of the choices he made and why he went where he went. So just just a theory. But I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at Patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. 
Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance of having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Again, if you have any questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com or send them into our Discord channels. We have one set aside for everybody, which is the Q and Podcast Questions channel. And if you are a Patreon supporter, as a way of saying thank you, we have a separate channel set aside for you. You can send that into uh, the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel, where we tend to look first as a way of saying, you know, we appreciate that you uh, you help us keep the lights on. If you can't support us monetarily, please be sure to give us a like or subscribe or comment on any of the places where our podcasts are available, whether this be YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of the other various entity or places where they exist. All of that goes a long way to help us stay afloat and make sure our content reaches everybody. But we appreciate you folks. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.